This episode features depictions of graphic violence and harm against a minor. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single depiction of El Coco. Today's episode combines elements from a number of Latine and Iberian legends for dramatic effect. Hello, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. Each week for the past three years, we've traveled the world in search of the most epic creatures from myth and legend, from the Kraken to the Tooth Fairy to Mothman, from Kamazots and Cluricon, the Griffin and the Grim Reaper, from ancient Egypt to the Victorian era and back, we've explored who these monsters are, where they come from, and what they say about the culture they terrorized. And it's been a whole lot of spine-tingling fun. I'm sad to announce that today, though, we're reaching the end of our run. This is our last episode. But not to worry, you'll still be able to find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. And before we go, we do have one last monster to meet. This monster has close ties to the Mexican Day of the Dead, or Dia de los Muertos. He's been many things, from a great dragon in the early medieval period, to a pumpkin-headed witch in the 1700s, to a Stephen King villain. And there's one detail his many believers can't agree on. What happens to the children who are naughty enough to come face to face with El Coco? The truth is, no one seems to know. They simply disappear. Coming up, a sister tempts fate by mocking the dead. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. The history of the monster we know as Coco blends European traditions with indigenous American ones. The European elements come from the Iberian Peninsula, the landmass that includes present-day Portugal and Spain. 
During the first century BCE, the ancient Greek historian Diodorus Siculus wrote that the Iberians offered the heads of their enemies up to the monster on the ends of their spears. By the 11th century, the beast often looked like a dragon, perhaps inspired by the dragon St. George slays in medieval legends. Regardless, the Spanish conquistadors carried the serpentine legend to Mexico, where it collided with the traditions of the Aztecs and Maya. Here, Coco became something far more complicated than a dragon, a shape-shifting boogeyman with red eyes who could transform into many dangerous animals or even a pumpkin-headed monster. El Coco's names are just as varied. In many Mexican communities, he goes by El Cucuy. The Brazilians call him Cuca. Some simply know him as Coco or the Coco Man. No matter what, this boogeyman can hide in plain sight, even behind the curtains of a child's bedroom. For that is Coco's primary prey, disobedient children. He watches them from rooftops, a shadowy inverse of a guardian angel. His methods of taking them vary from legend to legend. Sometimes he gobbles them up, leaving no trace. Other times, he places them in a large sack, spiriting them away, never to return. But for the ones left behind, the taking is only the beginning. The cemetery was full, or nearly so. It was a flood of flowers and food, bright orange marigolds and golden brown pan de muertos, sugar skulls and rich red flor de jamaica in glittering crystal cups. They were all arranged on altars, an offering or ofrenda to the ancestors. People walked by in rich blacks and bright colors, their faces painted like grinning skulls. Others gazed out from enormous decorated carriages, sable folds lurking in dark windows. Dia de los Muertos was meant to be a celebration of the dead and of life, a time when families and neighbors came together to remember the joys and sorrows that had come before. But Paula wasn't enjoying it. In fact, Paula was annoyed. Paula wanted to be called Pau for short. She was nearly 17 and was ready for a grown-up nickname she got to choose. But her abuela refused to use it. Paula had the same name as her dearly departed mother, and Abuela would use no other. They were supposed to be honoring Pau's mother today, and her father too. They had both passed from cholera shortly after her little brother Javi was born. He was 10 now, and growing more annoying by the day. It wasn't really that Javi was a stickler for rules, he just never passed up an opportunity to get Pau in trouble. And it's true, she was doing things she wasn't supposed to do, but Javi didn't have to be such a little weasel about it. Pau looked around her. The cemetery was covered in candles and colors, perforated paper designs hanging from every grave and tree. There were so many places she wanted to be right now, and none of them were here. The kaleidoscopic visuals and vibrant music had a dizzying effect. She needed a moment of peace. Perhaps if she went home now, she could listen to a record or two before the remains of her family came home and ruined everything again. The sun had set. Abuela was doing that thing she did where she stayed so still, Pao was sure she was asleep. 
So Bao stood up from her spot beside her parents' grave and turned for the entrance to the cemetery. She'd barely taken a step when Javi appeared, asking her where she was going, what she was doing, and why she was doing it. She glared at him and kept walking. He ran after her, dodging between the graves, asking the questions again and again and again. She stopped at the gates to the cemetery, whirling on him. Go away, Javi. I'm going home. Javi pouted. But Abuela told us to stay here. She started walking again. You don't have to do everything she says, you know. He looked wounded. I don't do everything she says. Pao laughed. <laughs> when have you not? Javi opened his mouth and left it open. Pao snorted. <laughs> That's what I thought. Now go away. He grabbed her arm. If we don't honor Mama and Papa, they won't be allowed to stay in the land of the remembered. She whirled back to face him. I remember them. I was there. She knew it was mean, but it was true. She wasn't going to apologize for it. She stepped into the street and turned towards home. A voice cut through the music, the chatting, the laughter. Paula Villa Cisniega, you ungrateful, disobedient child. Pau turned slowly, already knowing what she'd see. Abuela was marching towards her, parting the crowd around her with nothing but a roll of her shoulders. As she passed, curious eyes followed until everyone was staring at them. Pau flushed with embarrassment. Her friends, their neighbors, the whole city were whispering to each other, watching as her abuela chided her. Of course, Javi was grinning in the background, but then her grandmother turned on him too. And you, Javier, don't think I'm done with you. Do you want El Coco to take you? He will watch you from the dark, following you from roof to roof and into your bedroom before he puts you in his great sack and you disappear forever. That is what will happen if you are like your sister. Do you want to be eaten, Javi? Do you? Javi begged their abuela to forgive him, but she would not be pacified. She marched them back to the ofrenda and then home. She even made Bao hold Javi's hand. Bao felt like a prisoner, a witch being marched through the streets to her final trial. She was certain everyone was still watching her. Everyone could see that her abuela thought she was an insolent child. Javi was crying softly beside her. He was trying to hide it, but she could always tell. His nose would get twitchy, and he'd let his thick, dark hair fall into his face, hoping the curls would obscure his eyes. She refused to feel bad about it. She refused. But the others around her, it seemed, did not care about how Pao felt. They saw a haughty, disobedient girl and a crying little boy and turned him into the victim, her the bad influence. Bao tried to avoid their gaze, but there were people everywhere. Their eyes looked even more hollow in the skull makeup. So Bao decided to look upwards, all the way upwards towards the starry sky. Only the sky wasn't starry, not entirely. A dark silhouette stood on top of one of the tile roofs, blotting out the glimmering firmament. More than blotting out, consuming, a hungry void in the shape of a man. He was tall, tall and thin, wearing a cloak and a long hood. He did not move, yet she was certain he was watching her, witnessing her in her guilt and shame. 
She paused in spite of herself, staring, mouth open. Javi asked her what was wrong. She couldn't answer. She wasn't sure she would ever be able to speak again. Javi yanked on her arm. Her eyes snapped to his, grateful for once for his inability to keep his hands to himself. She had to be seeing things. Her abuela had always encouraged their imaginations, but not in a way that felt nurturing. It always seemed more like a way of making discipline easier for her. Imaginative children created the worst monsters in their heads. Pao took a deep breath. This wasn't her fault. This was her abuelas. She was the one being unreasonable. She wasn't going to be blamed for having a life. Javi had made his bed. He could lie in it. She didn't need anyone or anything. She repeated this thought in her head over and over, like she was praying the rosary. Finally, when her nerve returned, she turned to look back and look up. The watcher on the roof was gone. Coming up, Bao's nightmare comes home. You tell yourself it's only a movie. None of this could ever happen to you. You feel relieved until you discover what you're watching is based on actual events. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa and Greg from the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. In our Halloween special, Real Horror, we're spotlighting three of the most iconic horror films of all time and telling the terrifying true stories that inspired them. Recovering the real influences behind characters like Ghostface from the 90s mega-hit Scream, Hannibal Lecter and Buffalo Bill from the Oscar-winning thriller The Silence of the Lambs, and Leatherface from the 70s cult classic The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Enjoy Real Horror, the serial killer's three-part Halloween special. Listen to all three episodes the final week of October, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Pao dropped her brother Javi's hand as soon as Abuela opened their front door. She stormed past her grandmother and into her room, slamming the door behind her. Her grandmother had scolded her like a child, humiliated her in front of everyone, everyone, and on the day of the dead of all days. Her abuela always tried to tell her that their parents were watching over them, but Bao had stopped worrying about that threat long ago. She'd stopped believing in El Coco even earlier. Still, Abuela used the boogeyman to terrify Javi every chance she got. Not that Javi didn't deserve it. Bao was just sick of listening to the stupid story. It was so wishy-washy, the idea of a shape-shifting boogeyman. He could be on the roof, he could be behind the curtains, or in your dresser, or in the chamber pot. She had let her imagination get the best of her on the way home from the cemetery, but she'd been in a very vulnerable state. Despite all her attempts at independence, she had felt young again. Young enough to feel guilty about getting Javi in trouble when he was the one who'd chased after her. 
Besides, he'd fallen all over himself apologizing to Abuela, and she could hear him praying through the shared wall of their bedrooms. He would be fine. Bao was not fine, or at least not as fine as she wanted to be. Her chest was still tight, her muscles tense and throbbing from seeing or imagining El Coco watching her. She tossed in her bed, trying to get comfortable. She wasn't sure how long she'd been awake. It was past midnight, certainly. Her curtains were closed, so she couldn't search for any half-light in the east. And then, suddenly, she could. For just an instant, she got a glimpse of the seemingly endless darkness outside her window. Her curtains were moving, weren't they? Maybe not. She'd opened the window, hadn't she? It was the wind. It had had to be the wind. Wind didn't sound like that. It didn't breathe, soft and rasping, then ragged and hungry, like an animal trying to contain itself, an animal far too large to fit between the curtain and the wall. Her abuela had always said that El Coco could hide anywhere and see anything. She was never truly alone. She didn't want to believe it. It was so convenient, so self-serving. The wood beside the window creaked, like someone had adjusted their weight. Bao's heart pounded. Her muscles buzzed with nervous, terrified energy. Her thoughts were racing fast enough to make her lightheaded. Yet one thought cut through it all. This was cruel. Cruel of her grandmother to teach her this story. Cruel to make her cower in her bed like a toddler who was afraid of the dark. It was all a desperate attempt to control her, and Bao didn't want to be controlled. Bao slid out of the bed. She marched towards the window with forced, deliberate steps, as if making more contact with the floor would make her feel better. But she kept going. She grabbed fistfuls of curtains and pulled. She was met with her own reflection, her own wide eyes in the smooth, dark glass. The window was shut tight. There had been no draft, and yet she had heard breathing. She trusted herself enough to know that. Bao stepped further into the newly foreign expanse of her pitch-black room. The bed and the unlit candle beside it seemed to be miles away. She let her feet touch the floor as lightly as possible, listening all the while for that horrible, hungry breathing. Inch by inch, she crossed the room. The whole house was silent. The street outside was, too. It was strange for the Day of the Dead. Usually there were fireworks, laughing, music, and dancing into the late hours. Bao reached the bed. She struggled to light the bedside candle, but finally the flame caught the wick. She lifted the candle up to survey the room. Nothing was out of the ordinary. The curtains were still open. The firelight danced on her reflection in the mirror. She pulled on her robe and gently pushed the door to her bedroom open. The last thing she wanted to do right now was wake her grandmother. Bao turned towards the front of the house. She couldn't believe that there were no revelers outside for Dia de los Muertos. It just didn't make sense. But then a sound caught in her other ear, the breathing again. At the opposite end of the hall, she gasped. Javi! She ran down the hallway and up the stairs, not caring if her abuela heard. She screamed his name, nearly crashing into the door. She fumbled with the knob, finally throwing it open to reveal darkness. 
Deeper than deep darkness, Javi's room never felt this big in the daytime. A sliver of moonlight appeared through the window as it swung open, seemingly of its own accord. Then the blue light hit the darkness just right, and she saw it. The strange silhouette of a cloaked man with a long, serpentine neck and a bag on his back. The bag was moving, swinging back and forth, like something alive was fighting to escape it. Bao screamed her brother's name. The shape turned his head to meet her, but there was no face, only darkness. Then he went out the window. Bao rushed over to the casement. She watched as the shape jumped from one roof to the other in the moonlight, fleet of foot, yet sometimes without feet at all. Though he was moving away, the serpent-headed man seemed to be getting larger and larger, jumping higher and higher. For a moment, Bao thought she saw wings on its back. She cursed and stepped out onto the window ledge. Then she stepped over onto the roof. El Coco was moving fast, the squirming bag bouncing against his back. Bao called Javi's name again, dashing over the red tile roof as quickly as she could. She teetered, then she slipped. She tilted over the edge of the roof, barely catching herself on a brick chimney. For the first time, she heard the revelers below, as if she'd emerged from a glass bulb and into the world outside it. She wasn't sure how she knew El Coco was responsible for this feeling, but she felt the certainty like frost in her bones. She wanted to beg the people down below for help, but in the same way, she knew they could not hear or see her. Though the night sky was clear and bright and the world below was a swirl of color, the skyline belonged to the monster alone. He was moving so fast, Javi's struggle within the bag didn't slow El Coco down in the least. She wasn't going to catch him. She was never going to catch him. Laughter floated up from the world below, mocking her as her world fell apart. El Coco crossed a large gap between buildings effortlessly. Pau tried to speed up, but she slipped again. She stumbled to the tile, bashing her knees against the cold roof. El Coco was nearly out of sight. She yelled over the din below, Coco! El Cocoy! Whatever you are! He just kept going. Then she screamed, Take me instead! The dark shape paused, turning with feline grace to face her with his void-like expression. The great chasm stood between them, but she had his attention. Now she had to figure out what to do with it. Coming up, Bao makes a very dangerous bargain. Now back to the story. Bao hadn't realized she was crying until she tasted salt on her lips. Here she stood on the rooftops of Mexico City in her robe and bare feet, staring down the boogeyman of her childhood. El Coco had her brother Javi in a bag on his back. She could see the little boy's struggles getting weaker and weaker. She had gotten the monster's attention, but at what cost? She'd spoken without thinking and offered herself in exchange for Javi. She didn't know if it worked like that. She didn't know if El Coco would just take her too. All she knew was that her grandmother would miss Javi far more than she'd miss her. 
Javi was a little tattling weasel, but he was kind and sweet. He helped Abuela get around when she was in pain, and he did his chores without being asked. He didn't misbehave the way Pau did. So why had El Coco taken him in the first place? Could it be a punishment for her? Was this shape-shifting, child-eating monster that petty, or did Javi taste better? Or was it that she had been almost old enough to stop believing in monsters? Still, she made the offer as best she could. Whatever you want, I deserve it. I was disobedient. Just give him back. El Coco did not have eyes, but she could tell he was studying her, seeing if she was worth it. Clearing the gap between the buildings to land right beside her. He wasn't a man anymore. He was a great beast, somewhere between a bull and a dragon, with wide, scaled legs and broad, almost barrel-like body. His eyes were two blazing candles, burning in a dark void. She could feel his hot, humid breath against her tear-stained face. Javi was struggling in the bag, throwing himself back and forth, his cries muffled by the fabric. She tried to sound as soothing as she could. It's all right, Javi. The struggling in the bag stopped for a moment. Maybe he could hear her. She tried again as El Coco pressed the shadowy visage that would have been his face against her cheek. Though his breath was warm, his skin was cold. He pulled back slowly from her, turning his great head to one side, almost inquisitive. Then he lashed out. The void opened wide, revealing a throat of smoke and shadow. Two fangs glittered in the moonlight. They did not pierce her throat, clamping down on her shoulder instead. She didn't know if it was accidental or on purpose, or which was worse. Razor-sharp pain shot through her. She forced herself to stay quiet. She'd agreed to this. If she wanted Javi back, this was the only way. Her breaths were shallow as El Coco pulled his jaw away, each fang hurting even more as it left. Blood flowed down her front. Shock hit her nerves, rendering her numb. She had to focus on Javi now. He was all she had. It's all right. I'm going to get you out of there. A muffled cry left the bag that certainly sounded like her name. Her voice cracked in her raw throat. El Coco licked his lips beside her, but she refused to look at him. Javi, you don't deserve this. You're a good boy. You didn't do anything wrong. Something changed. The tile cracked a little beneath them. El Coco had adjusted his weight ever so slightly. Just like he'd done in her bedroom, before he'd disappeared and gone for Javi instead. Bao could feel that she was on the very edge of understanding. It wasn't a coincidence, but she didn't know why. She'd been upset with her grandmother, she remembered that, but there had been so many reasons, reasons that felt completely pointless now. Hadn't it had something to do with... Then she had it. El Coco and her grandmother weren't the same, but they were intertwined. She and Javi were meant to be frightened of them both, but only if they had something to be ashamed of, something to regret. Good children, her grandmother insisted, never had anything to fear. Bao took one step away from the monster. 
Javi, you didn't do anything wrong. I didn't either. It's not your fault that Abuela gets scared and wanted to scare us too. You need to understand that so we can go home. The bag was still. Pao was afraid El Coco had killed him somehow without noticing. But then the bag twitched and bucked. El Coco turned slowly to examine the bag on his back. The bag bucked again. Pao raised her voice. Come on, Javi, fight. You didn't do anything wrong. Believe it. Believe it. The bag jerked and bounced against the beast's back. Pao tried and failed to take a deep breath. Her voice whistled a little as she spoke. He didn't do anything wrong, and I made a mistake, but I'm learning. I won't be shamed by you. She felt El Coco tense, his whole body coiling for another strike. She set her jaw and breathed through the pain, inviting it. El Coco bit down again, tearing at her arm. Bao cried out as it retracted its fangs with a sickening smile. The bag fell to the tile. Javi tumbled out and sprang to his sister's side. He yelled, Go away! You've got no right to be here! Bao wobbled on her feet. Javi caught her as she fell, bringing her gently to the ground. He stepped between his sister and the monster. One more time, he told it to go away. And it did. There was a beating of great wings, a gust of cold night air, and the shadow was gone. Bao flinched as the chill washed over her. Javi cradled her face in his hands. It's all right. He's gone. He's gone. Bao smiled at him, vision dimming. Thank you, Javi, for not doing everything she says. Javi let out a small laugh. Then his sister floated away to the land of the remembered. El Coco is the ultimate boogeyman. He's frightened three continents and even made a gender switch in Brazil where she's an alligator woman named Cuca. From reptilian monster to dark watcher peeking out behind a child's curtains, he hits nearly every primal fear for children. Being lost, being killed, being caught doing something wrong. He sees you when you're sleeping, and he knows when you're awake. He can be anywhere and anything. Like all the best monsters, he's exactly what he needs to be for those who invoke him. He doesn't punish one particular vice, he punishes all of them, anyone the culture agrees upon. Disobedience is a universal thing, but disobedience is in the eye of the beholder. Maybe the answer is to behave. Maybe the answer is to live without shame. Will you take the risk and find out? Thank you for listening to Mythical Monsters. It's been an honor sharing the world's many fantastical creatures with you over the last three years. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. 
Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Jen Rache, edited by Robert Teamstra and Nora Battelle, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Adriana Gomez, and produced by Travis Clark. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 